Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Jack Inslee continues our never-ending journey about sports documentaries and sports specials and sports whatever. It's an excuse to watch things featuring Michael Jordan until the end of time. This week we're focusing on a comedy salute to Michael Jordan, something that I did not know existed until earlier this year. I'm very glad that it does exist. That's a lie. I'm not very glad it does exist. I'm I'm not regretting spending the 50 or so minutes uh, I used to watch the comedy salute to Michael Jordan. If you're listening to this show for the first time, thank you. That's very kind of you. You could donate to our Patreon because I'm sure you're very, very rich in the middle of 2020 because nothing bad at all is going on. So if you have that disposable income, for those that don't have it, we'd appreciate it. Go to youmethemeverybody.com and our about page. You could find the link there. Or if you're listening to this on iTunes or on the website, the link to our Patreon is in the description. If you're listening to this on Spotify, very cool. If you want to watch the video, a comedy salute to Michael Jordan, it's currently linked on youmethemeverybody.com. Here we go. It's an exciting time. It's the summer of 1991. It's time to salute Michael Jordan with comedy. Tonight, from the Chicago Theater on State Street at Great Street, Join a comedy salute to Michael Jordan with Billy Crystal, Jane Curtin, Nora Dunn, Roger Ebert, Chris Farley, Bruce Hornsby on the Range, Victoria Jackson, Patti LaBelle, Spike Lee, Andrea Martin, Paul Rodriguez, Tom Scott, Gene Siskel, Robert Spigel, Will Smith, Robert Townsend, Marsha Warfield, George Wendt. And I'm Shadow Stevens. Ladies and gentlemen, a city slicker and founding member of Comic Relief, Billy Crystal. Man, uh, I watched it really late last night. It's a breeze. You right? could put it that way. I mean, it's quick. In ter- that's how it's a breeze. It's not, okay. It's not a breeze yeah. because it's good. It's a breeze because it's like a short special and who, whatever. The angel that uploaded it to YouTube made sure that there's no commercials. Although maybe the commercials would have been more interesting to get a better picture of 1991. Oh, yeah. Which was a fascinating year, right? So like maybe l- let me start with like that because that's I, I kind of had to put myself in 1991 to full appreciate the ridiculousness of this Michael Jordan comedy special. A comedy salute to Michael Jordan. <laughs> That's the name. So, 1991, Cold War's uh, ending, has ended. Bill Clinton announces his bid for presidency, right? Clarence Thomas was confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. Nirvana released Nevermind. Pearl well, no, Jam never, released Hold on, 10. stop. Nevermind was not out yet at the time. Nevermind was released in late, in late September of 91, and it didn't actually get on the Billboard charts until Christmas time. I mean, it was there, and Smells Like Teen Spirit made it a big deal, but it wasn't as big of a deal until kids returned their Michael Jackson CDs over Christmas, and that catapulted it into number one. Right. That's when they're on SNL the first time. Okay, fair enough, because Michael Jackson did release Dangerous in 91. Correct. Um, and Pearl Jam released 10. Yeah, but Pearl Jam didn't make ripples similar to Nirvana until 92, really. Gotcha. Um, Freddie Mercury died from AIDS. Mm -hmm. Um, Magic Johnson announced that he had HIV. But not yet. Not. Oh, 
That happened later in the year? That happened a little bit later in the year. It was like right before the start of the season. That's important. Okay. Exactly. That's important. Relatively, like the only good joke. Uh, We will get to that. Yes. Magic (laughs) announces that he's got HIV on November 7th, 91. And this happened when? This This is post post the finals. Right. Jordan hosting the SNL premiere. Okay. So we're in the summer. So this is July, Um, August 91. Mm-hmm. So Rodney King was beaten by LAPD prior to this. Um, there was actually the Mount Pleasant protests in D.C. after a rookie cop shot a Salvadoran man. And then, of course, the Bulls winning their first championship. So that's what leads us here. Yes. You did, you set the table quite well. <laughs> you did. I, I had to. I, I had to make sense of this. So... I didn't do any of that until the way end because apparently my favorite thing to do is find out who produced and executive produced things. <laughs> and the executive producers, once you find that out, you're like, oh, interesting. And it becomes this like very unique timestamp. Yeah. And for listeners, I think they should, they should know the context behind my laugh there. Brandon got called out let's say on twitter by some of the producers of the ron artest doc correct (laughs) um who seemed to be pretty upset that you called out that ron artest was involved in the production ron artest was the executive producer of the ron artest documentary that's it that's all that was my entire point because once the executive producer that's the money man once once the producer is working with the executive producer and they're also the subject. It's hard to maintain. <laughs> of it's hard to call it journalism. Is kind of what so I'm saying here. Who executive produced this wonderful production? Bob Zamuda, who you might know better as the guy that used to work with Andy Kaufman. Wow! And the guy that signed Jordan to Nike. Wow. And the guy that signed Jordan to Nike is also one of the guys that did the ABCD camp, which is like where high school, like the best high school players in the world would go. That's where Kobe, like his star got bigger. That's where LeBron's star got bigger. He was the big high school guy for the last 40 years in in, in uh, basketball in America. Without him, we don't have players like Kevin Garnett going straight into the league. Also, this dude is super important when it comes to NCAA players having their own likeness post-college performance like he's there's a 30 for 30 about this dude these are two super fascinating individuals and it's the reason why jordan did this interesting yeah so this was at the chicago theater correct which was packed um sure (laughs) yeah star-studded lineup it's such a weird lineup but a really weird Chicago heavy, but then not at all. No, not, it's not Chicago. But heavy. Then also not. I mean, there there are some weird Chicago, like Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, the the Bears. You know. Okay, so but Siskel and Ebert. Like, that's not a local. Sh- it's it's produced out of Chicago, but that's a nationwide super important show. Yeah, of course, of course. But I'm sure they carried a little bit more weight in their hometown. No. Oh God, yeah. Like Gene Siskel had season front row tickets to the Bulls, as we saw in a painful joke <laughs> yeah. at some point. But that was actually um, at the Forum. Oh right, true enough. Every How dare you get the facts every, straight, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> every presenter got at best like I don't know. It felt like two minutes. Yeah, of stage. Time. The longest. 
I think anyone had on stage was Billy Crystal, which is our cold open. And the reason why Billy Crystal is there is because this is a co-presentation, essentially, between the Michael Jordan Foundation and Comic Relief. So that's why Billy, Billy Crystal's, Crystal's there. Billy Crystal's monologue was rough, man. Billy Crystal, I don't get it. Um, I, I don't never, think I it's an have. age thing. Because I legitimately enjoy his other two comic relief cohorts like i think whoopi goldberg is very funny and i think robin williams is very funny i think you have to be a new yorker to fully get billy crystal which he makes abundantly clear in almost (laughs) every monologue he does he's like long island roll the g and he's making i mean the weird thing about this first of all i noticed that Billy Crystal had some Trump cadences, which reinforced to me the New Yorkness of Trump and that cadence. Um, That was interesting. The other thing about this entire special is that most of the jokes had a setup where the punchline was basketball players are black. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. That was pretty much it. Save for two really special jokes, the Isaiah Thomas gay joke and a dick joke about Will Purdue, which was probably the best of them. <laughs> Especially right. knowing how it went for the documentary about how Jordan just bullied Will Purdue. Yes, exactly. So do you think Jordan bullied Will Purdue because he's got such a huge dick? Is that the premise it, of the, the maybe, last maybe dance? we're finding out more about this, yes. This is, a, this is part 11 of the last dance. It really felt like it. It felt like a real. We see Juanita for the first time in the Last Dance uh, on episode eleven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so w- w- that marriage is so fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, she seemed happy. It was it exactly. was so weird, man. It was like not a roast, but it no, was set up it's like a comedy a roast. salute because this is essentially their version of comic relief for ninety one. Ugh. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> It's a, it's such an really, odd thing. Really, really, really weird. Now, okay, I feel like we could just easily run through it because it's not long at all. No, it, it moves pretty quickly. So, so it opens with, with Billy, Billy Crystal, Crystal, who in theory yeah. is like our host, but he never comes back on stage. He comes back. <laughs> yeah, he, so he's he not to our the host. And gets back to the uh, uh, he, he starts things off. He invites Michael Jordan on stage. Well, we watch clips. There's like a highlight reel. Yeah. Is that the Bruce Which Hornsby highlight like, reel? Yeah, so the, the the funny thing is about this format and 91 is Billy Crystal's like talking about Michael Jordan and he's like, what's better than, you know, uh, let's watch some clips. And the crowd goes like wild for the idea that they're about to watch clips of Michael Jordan. Yes. And I'm like, that's so interesting. Like, So, okay, did, well, you got to remember 91 clips aren't really, there's no YouTube. I know. That's There's no saying. league pass. If I got to watch a Michael Jordan clip, I have to go to the Chicago theater in the summer of 1991 and Billy Crystal <laughs> has to present them to me. Yeah, that's your YouTube highlights. This is my only time to see clips of Michael Jordan. So <laughs> that's the first like 10 minutes. It's Billy Crystal doing Billy Crystal. It felt like 10 minutes. I don't know if it was that long, but it maybe is. it was. I'm, yeah. I'm going through the show right now. Uh, oh, wow. If you okay. include the clip package, that's the first 10 minutes. All right. It's just other. It's like Chris Mullen going, "Is Michael Jordan that good?" Yes, yes, he is. That's it. <laughs> it was. It was definitely Last Dance ish. Oh yeah, it's that's great. This real. was the um, yeah. This is the foundation of the Last Dance. It cuts. They don't really necessarily acknowledge every time they cut between the present day and the mo- and the past. 
<laughs> there's like random footage of like Jordan's like second season intercut with like the most recent season. It's all over the map. Yeah, with like a slideshow of photos of him as a kid playing baseball. It's, yeah, it's yeah. totally all over this the place. This is the last dance. Okay, so then we get to the the meat of the show. And it's just weird. Well, we invite Michael Jordan on stage first for a very awkward. He's like, and ladies and gentlemen, Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan gets up and he's like, thank you for this. This is great. And then Billy Crystal's like, all right, now go sit down. Watch us from your private um, box in the front row. Right. So, so no I mean, one that can was touch awkward. you. And then things kick off. Yeah. And so it's the, the bailiff from Night Court. She's a comic. She's fine. She- He's fine, yes. Uh, literally none of her material is about Michael Jordan, which is normal because why would you have a Michael Jordan chunk if you're a stand-up? It just doesn't make any right. sense. All right, so right. that happens for four minutes, and then we get to the the, the main reason this show should be watched, which is the Superfans skit, which had already been on SNL, but it was an, almost entirely about the Bears. All right? So then we get Robert Smigel... Uh, George Went and Chris Farley, who is maybe the funniest person instantly on screen of the last fifty years. Truly, every time he shows up on a screen, his everything about him is is just on yeah. all the so time. This and okay, and th- without this sketch, so Slam recently did an oral history of the Michael Jordan hosted SNL, and Smigel kind of makes the the premise that without this event he doesn't host snl a few months later and i it's hard to disagree because it makes a ton of sense no of course jordan comes off really really well in this and this is legitimately funny um there are two times when jordan breaks he does not break when he hosts snl he does a very remarkable job watching that only a few months later that this sketch is legitimately funny there's like there's no qualms about it um the only homophobic joke would never be uttered now, the Isaiah and Magic kissing after the game. And I really think the only reason they did that is because they needed to insult Isaiah somehow. And he had just I agree. And he happened to just beat the Lakers, hence the joke. Which the setup for it was funny because Jordan is like, Come on, guys, there's some other good players in the league like Magic Johnson or Isaiah Thomas. And I'm like, oh, I see what's... That that felt like such a setup because, of course, Jordan would not have picked Isaiah to shout out. And now I was... The crowd kind of... When when the super fans say, like, you're remarkably better than Magic Johnson, even the crowd's like, don't say that. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) They're like, ooh. It was an ooh, not who. It was like, uh uh-oh. I think Um, this is as funny as thing... As funny as any super fan sketch that ever made it to SNL... Um, I think Jordan comes off really well, and they should have ended the show here, but there's still another 30 minutes. It's also worth noting that he had an incredible outfit on in that sketch. Yeah, this is unlike his SNL sketch. Uh, he's wearing a fantastic cardigan uh, sweater yep. type situation. When he goes to host it on SNL, it looks like uh, a kimono. It is not a kimono, though. We've established this. Okay, moving on. Then we get someone who I think Michael Jordan likes based on the music of The Last Dance, which is Patti LaBelle performing one of two songs. She also yep. performs in the credits. She's very good. It was fine. It was good. It was perfectly fine. Then we get our Siskel and Ebert sketch. Which was so fucking weird. So bad. Um, 
I have a few Siskel and Ebert uh, mentions uh, in my life. Siskel, huge basketball fan. Ebert, somewhat, what's doesn't matter. But Ebert gets the joke uh, when they do the pre-film thing. Neither of these men understand timing of like let a laugh land. They just keep they barrel ahead the entire time. Well, and, and in that way, it did feel like um, the Oscars or okay. an award show where like you just have people delivering punchlines that are not you know reading teleprompters mm-hmm. and. And then the, the, worth noting, um, this was the weirdest part of the whole special. At the end of their bit, um, is it Ebert? I think gets past a basketball yeah, on that's the stage. Like, yeah, that's the pre. Oh, I don't remember the on stage part. Yeah, he like he like catches a basketball and then passes it to the right, and then the camera cuts to a clip of Jordan receiving. Oh, no, that's a the pass. pre-taped sketch I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that That's not that the, the basketball. Tape. That was not live. That was cut together pre. That was pre-tape. I see. Yeah, that was their Weird. set. Weird. That was their. It set. was just the editing between it all was so janky. Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> it was not good. But I've always and had I'm good experiences like, with Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert. Without Roger Ebert, you and I might not know Hoop Dreams. Hmm. That's a good point. He was their biggest, biggest, biggest champions. Um, If you watch any Ebert specials or any Ebert clips from uh, on YouTube, like he did a really, really good episode with Scorsese of like the top ten films of the '90s. He includes Hoop Dreams in there. He gave it four stars because of his advocacy for that film. It made it to mainstream theaters, at least in Chicago. So I got to see it in the theater and. That's, That's why cool. the filmmakers of Hoop Dreams ended up doing the film about Roger Ebert's life, life itself. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And um, I mean, it could be it could be said probably that Roger Ebert does not love Hoop Dreams without Michael Jordan capturing the imagination of Chicago and exactly. the country. Right? I think that there's a yeah. direct line between those. And also, Roger Ebert's cool because he used to date Oprah, number one. Number two, uh, him and his wife had a really cool relationship that I got to see uh, because... Across the street from the Chicago theater is actually one of the screening rooms for theaters, uh, for like movies in Chicago for critics to go to. And you know how it goes. Uh, when you're a critic, it doesn't matter if you're like a college critic or a Roger Ebert, they have screenings for critics and you go to this one room. And so I got to be in the same room with Ebert a handful of times. And it was really cool to see him and his wife and like, she would drop off lunch and shit like that. And then later mm-hmm. on, when he lost the ability to speak, but he was still mobile and still super prolific, she would be at his book signings and essentially like be the advocate for Roger. And it was like so heartwarming and heartbreaking at the exact same time. And I always had really great experiences with Ebert through that through that couple. And so I've always liked Roger Ebert, and I probably always will. And basketball is a somewhat substantial part of that. Interesting. All right. Well, I guess it makes a little bit more sense seeing him on stage considering all that. But uh, but all that being said, bad. this made no fucking sense. None. None at all. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how is this experience in the audience? Yes. You know? Yes. Like, so weird. Why? And Did, people are dressed to the nines, it oh seems. God, yeah. You know? Well, that's what I was wondering I'm about. Guessing. Is that a Jordan thing or is that just like I'm going to the theater in 91 thing? I think from the sound of the applause and the excitement, I, I think people were that fucking excited about being in the same room as Michael Jordan. And like Bulls tickets are hard to come by, I guess. And like it's yeah, being in it's like a it's like a Elvis or Michael Jackson or whatever else, right? Like 
just being there was exciting for people. I do remember that I went to like one Jordan game my entire life when I was a kid and like it took my mom like a year to get the tickets and they were like horrible mm-hmm top row at the old Chicago stadium. I think it was the 92 season. So like it's right in this era. It was incredibly difficult to get tickets. It wasn't like it is now. We're like, yeah, StubHub exists. And if you have the money, you can go to any game ever. It was a very, very different experience. And it did you have a, I can't child- imagine I, I couldn't, I could not go to Knicks games. I've never been to, as a kid, I was never at a Patrick Ewing Knicks regulation game. My yeah. parents, my mom could only at one, one time she, she got us tickets to a preseason game, which was at, Nassau Coliseum in Long Island. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, kind of, but like I never, you know, never, never saw him in the garden. It was just yeah. impossible unless you'd had rich parents or parents with rich friends with seat. Like you just, there was no in because, mm-hmm. like you said, there was no aftermarket. Nope. Um, and scammers were scalping in front of the state. You know, you couldn't do that either, really. Hell, even like so, fifteen years ago, I remember having to buy tickets for Cubs games, like. In a, from a guy in a parking lot and like guessing and also the cops were everywhere trying to bust them. Yeah, now, it was not easy. Totally different. Well, I don't know if you know how it works for basketball now, but baseball, they cut in the team. So like for the Cubs, they there's like official resellers, which completely fuck up the market, but the Cubs get paid twice essentially now. Oh, weird. So hmm. if I buy the ticket at Wrigley Field or at Ticketmaster or whatever and then I sell it back to a reseller, the Cubs get a cut of that. So they're cool with it now. <laughs> And now it's sanctioned. So, I mean, all that to say that there was a frenzy, um, Mm -hmm. I think, just about being in the same room as him. So I guess that justifies a packed Chicago theater to watch a pre-recorded clip of of Ebert passing a basketball to fake Michael Jordan. Yeah, I kept wondering, what was this? Hold on, really quick. Did people pay? Like, there's not a ton of information on the internet about this special. (laughs) There's really not. None. Almost none. It's a, it's amazing that you found it. Did did people pay to go to this, or was this like you won via one of Jordan's like Gatorade or McDonald's or Nike things? You know what I mean? You know, you would think since it's a benefit, or is it a tax write off? Or is it like the TV or the TV money? What benefits it? Exactly. The, well, the founder. IMDb lists a budget of like one point one million dollars. Like, how did you? I don't what? doubt it. I don't doubt it. Okay. Think of all the talent that they had there and all the accommodations and travel and, and all that. Okay. I so mean, are are people getting appearance fees for this or is it for free? Is it one Probably of those things free. where like they get it and then they donate the money back so they could write it off? Maybe. Yeah. Very confusing. Maybe the most very, very confusing, confusing aspect of early 90s basketball was the prevalence of Bruce Hornsby. Dude. Why? Okay, so this is Bruce Hornsby performing live, but also we get a clip package earlier with Bruce Hornsby the way it is, which I remember as part of like early 90s basketball. Who, why does Bruce Hornsby, why? What is going on? He's as, he might be the like early 90s version of Master P. Um, with how that, often this guy's songs was used in highlight reels. Okay, I was wondering where you were going with that. The Make Him Say um, It video has Shaq judging a slam dunk contest. Come on. <laughs> I, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. and I'm, I'm, I'm skimming through his Wikipedia. 
I, I don't I don't get it. I don't know. Okay, the only um, thing I could... I, there's the, a connection to the Grateful Dead. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. The reason why I think he might be part of this, in addition to him doing the video, is for some reason, Spike Lee directed a Bruce Hornsby video. Interesting. So Spike Lee, we've established huge friends with Michael Jordan. He comes up later on. Maybe there was a connection there. Also, based uh, on... I got it. So he's... he's he is a huge basketball fan. He goes to a lot of college basketball games in Virginia. Um, he's played Allen Iverson one-on-one. And he won. Helped him get out of jail. Yeah. So, so he's just one of these celebrities who, who actually, you know what? That changes my opinion. I kind of have respect for these celeb, these like C list or lower celebrities that end up like basketball adjacent just for being huge fans of the sport. I think that's kind of cool. And it happens like at the at the All Star Game. There's sometimes these celebrities that just they they're they're there every year and they keep getting mentioned. And it's like, why this person hasn't worked in so long? But it's just because they're huge basketball fans. Oh, I don't doubt it. But you could probably ask any artist breathing, and they'd say yes to performing for Michael Jordan for charity. Right, but. I guess Bruce put in the work as a basketball fan to be in that position. He wanted it, man. He's the Michael Jordan of white uh, jazz rock musicians. <laughs> what I want to know is, does Michael Jordan legitimately like the music of Bruce Hornsby based on The Last Dance? I would say yes. guess yes. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Absolutely yes. All right. But he doesn't play the way it is. Nope. Which is even more – I don't know what song he played. It was horrible. Then we get our most comic relief sketch of the evening featuring uh, two SNL, three SNL alums and an SLC TV alum. I'm just going to skip over that. This is our uh, black men have big dicks. Will Purdue has a big dick. I'm going to go fuck a basketball player sketch. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my, I was shocked to hear Jungle Fever as a punchline yeah. of a joke. Um, but again, they did make a Will Purdue dick joke. And actually, this had one of the most confusing lines of the night and jokes, which was, I don't know who said it, but they were like, basketball is like sex. I opened my eyes during the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I was like, what? That was a Jane Curtin joke. Okay, moving on. The most important celebrity other than Michael Jordan in this special, Will Smith is here, uh, not performing music, but doing somewhat of stand-up comedy, even though he is he, not a stand-up comic. Stand-up. Will Smith's never yeah, done stand-up. He, Will Smith's um, not, no, trust me. He's not a stand-up. Will Smith has a new, like, thing. My friend has been, like, he's got a Twitch thing or a YouTube thing, whatever. He's read a stand-up for the first time, and one of his, like, coaches or teachers is my friend Megan. So, no, this is a, he did not okay, do stand-up. He was a comedic performer, comedic actor, uh, musician, not a stand-up. But they have Will well, Smith, he, 91, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Michael Jordan never appeared on that show. Guess who did? Isaiah Thomas. Will Smith is here all of a sudden. I thought he had a pretty solid opener as a non-stand-up guy saying all the ugly people shut up and the crowd went nuts. I was like, hey, look at you. Sure. But he probably, yeah, okay, sure. Um, There are writers for this show. (laughs) Bob Odenkirk is one of the writers for this show. No, come on. That's that's his his, uh, wit as as an MC. That's exactly. He's an MC. He's not a comic. It's, yeah, he yeah. should be there because he's the young. He's clearly the youngest person there. This he's is so young. Jordan's only twenty eight though, and he comes off as like this grizzled veteran. It's true. Well, Michael Jordan's always kind of seemed forty. Mm-hmm. 
So Will Smith was 23. Okay. Uh, 22, actually. Um, and what I liked about Will Smith is he's the first person to say something kind of earnest and nice on stage. Yeah. Where he's just like, you give a lot of kids hope in yeah. places where there is no hope. And that changed the tone quickly of, I don't know, from everything that came before it. Yeah. Which, yeah, the thing that's right before it is the fucking basketball player's joke. Now we're going back um, to probably the second most comic relief thing other than the last sketch. It's Paul Rodriguez. Paul Rodriguez. One of the most famous Mexican-American comics of all time. Uh, he's does his, he does his, like, bits. He does uh He comes in hot. He does his bits. He, he gives us the, uh, I was in the Warlords gang, and we fought the rival Jewish gang, the Landlords. And yeah. Then we get Spike Lee. Humor right there. <laughs> then we get Spike Lee, who is uh, brought onto stage. He's like, this guy likes to run his mouth. Uh, does the least running of mouths as possible. <laughs> He's just super. It was the most awkward ending I could possibly have imagined for this. He says almost nothing. He's uh, he, his role is to bring up Michael Jordan. Um, the most controversial thing he says is like, "We consider you from uh, New York because you were born in Brooklyn, even if you don't consider yourself a New Yorker." That's it. It's a very nice. It was timid weird man. to me that they like they flew him all the way out to for what. He was on stage for maybe 90 seconds? Well, this, I don't know. Then Jordan finally talks again. Since he hasn't been on stage since his fan sketch. Um, and we realize, like, he's super, he's relatively earnest. And um, this money is going to go to really good causes. And it made me realize, like, how much money and goodwill that guy has done. It's a lot. <laughs> um, probably the most from any athlete of that era just maybe magic no magic has to has done more at this point yep yeah magic is probably number one in terms of current players i don't think anyone comes close to lebron no and or former uh lebron is the greatest the guy's built schools he's active lebron doesn't just cut checks that's true and that's the difference that's true yeah okay not to mention yeah yeah no no one it's unparalleled then we get our final Patty LaBelle performance, and it's over. And then I'm like, "Oh, Bob Zamuda, comic relief producer, Andy Kaufman's right hand man, and the dude that signed Jordan and Nike." And the show is over. This was a nationally televised show. Yeah, I'm aware. I thought this was like a local Chicago thing, and nope, this is nationally televised. NBC. I want to. It know was bad. It was really bad. It was, but it was quick. So I'll take it. Yes. I mean, I just, like, couldn't they have had better writers? I mean, that that's what was No, that's the thing. The it's writers like, are amazing. It's Robert Smigel and Bob Odenkirk are two of the best writers, comic writers of all time. There was literally nothing they could have done. You give Spike Lee a punchline or something. You don't, because it's comic relief. It's not Spike Lee gets to actually be Spike Lee. Ugh, man, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like it just felt kind of lazy, and, and it felt like it was done in like twenty four hours. They just kind of slopped it together. It's I want to know if like they didn't. Somebody offered like, "Hey, do you want to do comic relief in Chicago?" They're like, "Well, we don't do it there." It's like, "Well, you could have MG. He'll show up. And we could put his name on it." They're like, "Fuck it, let's just do it." That sounds accurate. Because that sounds accurate. There's no like reason for this to exist. Other like, I can't imagine this ever happening again 
Well, you know, there's a piece of context that we're missing here. This is the Bulls' first championship ever. So the city is just riding high. So it's almost like an extended championship celebration as well. Yes, but usually championship celebrations are local. Uh, number one, the Bulls were only around for 25 years. That's not a long time. Uh, the Bears in Chicago, even five years after they won the Super Bowl, way bigger deal than the Bulls. But and- Michael Jordan winning the first championship was a huge deal nationally for all these fans that were following him. And, you know, it sure. was a big moment. It was a big pop culture moment. It was a huge pop culture moment. I'm not denying that in any way, but but why? Yeah. Like, no, I'm just- other thing we need to remember is this is of the era where like summer TV was mostly reruns. Mm. And so maybe that's why it's like, what else are we going to put on TV in the middle of July or August? That's a good point. I wonder if Michael Jordan and his reps know that this is available online. And if they did, if it would be taken down immediately. Yeah. I will. Right. If you're listening to this on youmethemeverybody.com, the YouTube link is embedded in the show. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, go to youmethemeverybody.com and it'll be there for question mark amount of time. Yeah, hurry up and watch it before it gets taken down. <laughs> There's, it's not. Well, don't watch it. I, I wouldn't recommend anybody watch it. Actually, I'm trying. Did I, I'm trying to wonder if I learned anything. Yeah, that's kind of why I had to like put myself in 91 and just it, it, it was a nice thought experiment to, uh, you know, imagine life in 1991 and all the context around it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, funny enough, in 1991, Tyler, the creator and Young Thug were both born. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so things got better. <laughs> I just, I can't imagine this happening now for anyone other than an Olympic athlete. Like, I could kind of see the month after the Olympics, like, a comedic salute to Michael Phelps or something. There, no, there's no level, because of the internet, there's no level of celebrity like this anymore. It doesn't, it's a relic. The whole thing is just, yeah, it's of its time, man. There's nothing today that could be like this. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. 